Hello, citizens of the universe. My name is Chris Gethard. This is Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. One phone call, one hour, no names, no holds barred. I'm just like shaking with rage right now. Ah! Ah! I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Okay, so one of my favorite things about doing this show is I get to hear about other people's lives. Other people who have had different experiences than I've had. It's really pretty fascinating. And this call today is a culture that I've always been fascinated by, that I feel like we all have opinions on and we all have words from afar. This guy was a soldier. This guy's a soldier who lived it real deal. I was not expecting a call from this guy. This guy calls himself a comedy nerd over and over again. I didn't know there were comedy nerds that were as deep into it when it comes to the the military on the ground stuff as, as this man. So thank you for calling, sir. And thank you for letting me ask you um, some truly dumb questions and hopefully some thoughtful ones along the way. But the utmost respect for our caller today is what I have, and I think you will as well. And I hope you enjoy this call because we get to hear about what it was like on the ground in Afghanistan. And sometimes that is exactly what you would think, and a lot of times it's pretty different. And the cow sounds freaky. You don't know what that means yet, but the cow sounds freaky. We'll all agree on that after the episode. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. Hello? Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Good, man. So what do we want to, uh, what do we want to talk about today? All right. We're going uh, to tell a story that I have been dealing with for uh, probably about eight years now. So... It is a uh, story about uh, my time just after I got out of the military service. Um, got back, actually, well, it started w- during service. I came home on a pass, and uh, my sister had pulled the Ouija board out. And I do not believe in these things. I'm atheist, so I indulged her. She, she, uh, she's asking questions that anybody could, can I, that random luck thing could very much be in play. So I, I start complaining. She then tells me to take my hands off the board and ask it a, a question that, that I, that she could verify by me that, that's, you know, it's unique. It's a unique answer. So I stupidly ask it the question, uh, am I going to lose somebody on a deployment? And it, uh, it says, yes, I want specifics. So I ask it, uh, all right, so name somebody that I'm going to lose on a deployment. And it spells out a very, very unique name, um, that I know for sure. My sister was not guessing she had, other than my then uh, soon-to-be brother-in-law who was in my unit, she knew nobody else in my unit. So it spelled this kid's name, bugged me out. Uh, we, we threw away the board and uh, just tried to put it behind us. About eight months later, uh, uh, no, it was about yeah, I don't know, eight, nine months later, uh, the kid, uh, the kid, the guy who, uh, my brother, not literally, but, you know, just a kid that he was like my best friend, uh, got shot in the head by killed by a sniper uh, on a deployment to Iraq, and uh, and uh, I heard when I when I heard I uh, just you know it's it's been this thing that's just been eating me up. I've digested it, but I still can't comprehend it. So I don't know. That's that's a story. That's the this thing that's been kind of gnawing at the back of my mind for uh, for since 2007. So basically, wow, that's. Uh... That's heavy stuff. That's he- this is that's a heavy that's a heavy story right out of the gate. Yeah, I, I kind of just well, I guess I figured I I could normally walk people in slower. I've only told a few people, but the people I've told I kind of walked in slower. But 
having listened to your show, which I love, I, I know that, you know, time's kind of of the essence, so I figured <laughs> I'd just kind of get it all out there, vomit it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you like the show. Yeah, no, um, definitely, man. Wow, so I got, I got a few questions, if that's okay. Yeah, ask away, man. So did you, did you, uh, did you tell this guy? Did you tell this guy about it? Did you ever joke with him about it or anything? Did he know that you had this experience, or was it just something in the back of your head this whole time? No, that was something that me and uh, my then brother-in-law discussed really kind of at length because it's one of those things where you don't like it, the, everybody in a in like a unit like I was in has a very specific specific job and. I mean, it's 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 almost like one of the the more I thought about it, telling him, the more you start questioning. Well, would you want to know if you were going to die, like how you were? And then if you tell the other people, which would be even worse potentially, because then you're basically taking their focus off of whatever they're doing and putting it on something else. And that was maybe the the toughest thing to to kind of get past was was thinking about how or even if. And I ended up not doing it, and it's one of those things that I've regretted ever since because. You know, it, it, he was the one that got popped. He 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 could have used any you know any thing, any piece of information. I mean, not that it would have helped in that instance because when you get hit by a sniper, usually you don't you don't see it coming. It's one of those things that kind of it, it's usually the trigger. And in that case, that's how most of the uh, insurgency was was starting their ambushes. They were basically uh, be a sniper shot, and whoever happened to be in in the turret or had a uh, piece of insignia showing usually was the one who ended up getting it. So. Wow. How long, how long were you over there? I wasn't on that deployment with him. I, I got out, uh, basically like at this little incident with the, with the Ouija board, I was back from Afghanistan on a pass and, um, and my unit, the, the way we were rolling, it it was six month maximum deployments. So, we were, we were prepping. I actually ETS'd before that deployment, next coming deployment, basically meaning like, you know, the military version of retiring. Um, so I got out about, I want to say April. I got back from the, the incident was November of 2004. The, the, yeah, cause it was Thanksgiving vacation. Uh, I spent about, I don't know, five months debating whether or not to tell them they all shipped out. I, I, I drove back down to, uh, to the, post where where we were all at i uh, saw them all off and this happened then january of i want to say 07 so it was basically they got extended out from six months because the war was just going like just shit for the for the u.s and and britain so they they upped our deployment stays to a year and uh during that second part, which we were never even originally tasked to be there, that's when he got it. So, well, I, I before we even get into this, uh, I need yeah. to, I need to just ask your permission because I I'm a I'm a I'm a comedian and a weak-willed man who lives in the the very insulated bastion of New York City, who has never put my life on the line for anybody else, and and you and and the people you're speaking of. Are, hero- are very heroic. So I don't know. There's a, like, I feel like this is something that my instinct would normally be to almost dance around or and to be extraordinarily respectful to the point of almost um, stiff arming some of this. But for the purpose of our talk, I just want to get permission from you that if I can like speak freely and just ask Frank questions and even make some jokes that that's okay with you. Cause I don't want to do that. 
if that's not yeah, okay. No, you most definitely can. Ask away and offend away, man. I, I, I'm a huge comedy fan, and I am not. I'm totally familiar with gallows humor, and that's pretty much how I've lived with all this shit. So, okay, because here's my first reaction then. And again, speaking from someone who, what you guys do is to me so insane. And thank you for it. Thank you for uh, thank you for being one of the people on the ground out there uh, trying to help the rest of us, trying to uh, stand up for for ideals and 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 what you see as uh, important for America. Thank you for that. Most of all, before I even get into anything else. But first of all, so this Ouija board incident, I'm just going to go for it, right? Let's talk about this. So you, it's, it. you say you've struggled about whether or not you should have told the guy, but then also we know we all know if you're. If you're with your your pal and you're with people from your from your unit and you're like, hey man, just FYI, a ghost <laughs> a ghost told me you're gonna eat it. That's yeah. not that's not a feasible like you can look back afterwards and be like, I should have told him he could have used the info. But everyone would have thought you were completely insane, right? Yeah, yeah Roger that. That's pretty yeah, no, the I would have been I would have been made to uh, suffer. You know, I would have been the butt of every joke in, in the barracks for a good year. And then if he did die, all of a sudden you'd be viewed as some sort of like mystical oracle, and you don't need that pressure. You don't need that <laughs> pressure either. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's, it's true. And I will say this as well. I just said something, and you responded by saying "Roger that," and it makes me feel cool. So thanks for including me. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, I want to put it out. It was a very small part of my life, and I really, I was wait. on a very, very different track. I enlisted, and I was only in for about two years because, and I, I, I tell you, it was because I was living on the city during nine eleven. That's the only yeah. reason I, I, I was there. Um, it was basically a gut reaction to the towers coming down that I just walked into a recruiter's office and said, "I want to jump out of planes for a living." Wow! And the guy just said. All right, let's let's do this. <laughs> I mean, it's like he didn't. I think he was used to trying to get people to go in, and I was just so fucking angry from having to deal with that 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 smell for for fucking months on end, and just having to be shacked up with a couple of friends in my apartment. So, I mean, I yeah, I, you're very much welcome, and I I always but I try to tell people that I, I mean, there's guys that are in and that have been in for much much longer than me, and that have done way more in terms of service than right. I've done. So you're not from a military family. This was not like something that. This was not this was this was a sort of spur of the moment decision. It sounds like it was. I mean, my, I was actually at the time writing. I was trying to write a um, it's the story, but because my grandfather was World War II guy, and my grandmother was actually a, uh, a French spy during the Second World War, and that's how they met. He ended up rescuing her from Berchtesgaden. He was she was uh, held captive in the Eagle's Nest, and um, and I was writing that story. I wanted to turn it into a screenplay, and. And so I'm writing and I'm writing and then the towers come down and it was like just just all that kind of data mining I was doing, trying and in contact with the DOD, trying to get these records and trying to find, you know, troop movements and basically just like living and breathing, you know, Patton's Third Army's march all the way inland. And so then the shit happens and it's just like you have this kind of patriotic thing stirring in your blood from all that research and then couple that with anger and that is a surefire recipe to get somebody to go in. Yeah. No, wait, you said you're you're... Your grandmother got rescued from Berchtesgaden. That's not, wasn't that like Hitler's comp, private compound? That was the, yeah, that was where they, that was where he resigned. Basically, if he had said if Berlin was ever to fall, they were, that would be his backup place in Austria. They would be, that would be where the, the last of the Reich right would, would put up a defense. And what happened was obviously he offed himself. Just for clarity of the, 
for the listener who's not in tune with this, because yeah. I've read a lot about it, that it was like a castle up in the mountains of Austria, right? And like a whole town that was kind of a fortified town. It was, it was a, it was, well, it wasn't so fortified. The, the actual castle itself was, the, the, the eagle's nest was, and the town, but it was very inaccessible. There was only a few rows, and they ended up, the Germans, um, after it looked like everything was coming to an end, they, they kind of like bombed out some roads, but the U.S. pushed through there, and they helped the, get the, um, get, uh, basically my grandfather, he was a tank destroyer commander, so they ended up, he was one of the lead units that pushed through there, and he met my grandmother, and in interviewing her about, you know, the, the events, she would always say, like, I, uh, she, <laughs> that he was, my grandfather was something of a, uh, a woman chaser, so she didn't first trust him, but, but he was one of the guys that actually, you know, get stuck out his hand when, when they were escorting these people who were captive, uh, mostly French nationals, um, from inside. She wasn't in the Eagle's Nest itself. She was in, uh, I think it was called the Bergdorf or something. So it was the hotel that was adjacent to it that most of the, the SS um, visitors would stay at. And is that where she was stationed as a spy, or was she be, was she captured and being oh, held no, there? Oh, no, no, no. That, she was captured. She was young. She was, like, uh, in her mid-teens when she was caught. She was basically running running um, messages from, from, like, operative to operative, like the, the guys that were actually, you know, quote-unquote spies in France, and she was caught. And when she was caught, because she was very attractive, she was sent to the uh, down there to Austria. Wait, hold on. Was she was attract? Was she being held as like a uh, paramour of some? Were these guys like were the Germans like? Uh, I don't want to be crass. This is fascinating. Since no, no, no. so she was attractive, what, I mean, that yeah, I implies she was. She was told. Uh, well, no, I can't tell you what she was told because I don't know firsthand. I do know what, what she relayed to me. She told me that basically that anybody who was was beautiful. They wanted as like wait staff in the hotel and as just people that they could like. So wow. they they took you know the prettiest girls from all over the, like Europe basically that were caught doing something that they deemed you know, and for I guess for Nazis it doesn't take much, but they were just taking very very attractive women and using them as like servants in in the hotel. Well, uh, my grandfather was the produce manager at an A and P supermarket, so uh, I'm feeling pretty. I feel cool. I feel cool too, man. <laughs> yeah, he hired hot like. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, he hired super hot girls to chop up the, chop up the watermelons and stack the tomatoes and right stuff. On. Yeah, yeah. So, right uh, so we all got cool family backgrounds. My other grandfather worked at a Westinghouse making light bulbs and right. stuff. So, so everybody's cool here, man. Fuck yeah, dude! You're like a superhero, and you come from a family of superheroes. I uh, I am far from a superhero. I would I would say my grandparents were way higher up on that scale than me they uh they lived a very impressive life when you're growing up around that it must you're it must your experience of like what your duties are as a human and as an american are very very different than other people's i would imagine i always i think yeah but and i would say that's to, to my detriment because i always set the bar very high in whatever i was doing to the point where it was like it was it, that sense of achievement came. I mean, my parents were my parents and my grandparents were great, but it's like you know, when you make decisions based on things that you've seen there, it's tough to like kind of baby step your way around. You always do the wrong thing. You set set that bar way too high because that's just what you know. And then next thing you know, you're like, "Fuck, I'm not getting there." Yeah, so that's psychologically that's not the best that's not the best place to put yourself. Oh, you know, that, and that's totally me. I, they in no way did anything. Like, they, I, I had a great family. No complaints here. 
Yeah. That's awesome. So you're, you're, so it's, it's pre 9-11. You're living in the city. You're a writer. You're chasing the artist's life. Was that, That's right. was that the, did you have a day gig or were you, were you doing it? Were you paying your rent that way? No, no, I wasn't. I was basically, I had, I spent a year in, in college in Boston. I graduated high school in 99. I uh, went up to school for a year and I was just so aimless. I was just like, cause I, I spent during high school every summer I would come into the city or go into New York city and basically kind of. I like one summer I learned, uh, I did a filmmaking class at like New York film Academy. One summer I, there was this thing at NYU where they offered like, it was just little things like that. And I just kind yeah. of all forgot about it as soon as I realized that I was at college and was like, Oh, I guess I got to get a real job and make real money. So, and I did some shit that just felt totally awkward to me. And I, I immediately, I, I remember walking into the Dean's office and just, they, they said to me, I had, it was almost like animal house. They were like, you have one of the lowest GPAs that I've ever seen. <laughs> And I was just like, fuck, all right. Um, and they were like, we, you know, we can put you on academic probation because we saw in your transcripts in high school that you really pulled your stuff together when you needed to. And I was like, that'd be a waste. That'd be a huge waste of money. Um, and I kind of, I left. I came to, the, came to New York City. I was living off of the little college money that I had, supplied, again, by just a very, very a family that basically believed in me and, and put, you know, money and love into me. And, uh living in the city uh, audition. I actually saw, read an interview article with, uh, with Ed Norton in the New Yorker, I think it was. And he talked about where he had studied acting in the city. And, uh, it's called the, uh, Terry Schreiber studio. And yeah. I remember I was like, well, I, I love that guy. I want to, I'm going to go there. So I auditioned at that studio. I got in, I was learning how to, I was like workshopping Hurley Burley at the time. I was like, <laughs> I was doing all this stuff. And then I, and I was working on, I was at night I was writing and basically I was, going to go as long as I, and hard as I could until I like had definitely had to get a job because, uh, at the time it was stupid, but I definitely felt like I was behind in the game come, you know, now I'm like mid thirties and I could realize, I realized I was so much just, I not, I wasn't even close to the truth at the time I was young, but I, then for some reason I felt like there was this just immediacy to what I was doing. So I, I, uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to do, I'm going to act during the day and I'm going to write at night and I'm going to try and get this thing hammered out. Living it. And, uh, <laughs> that's the life. That's the New York city. It, life. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. I was, I, and not to mention it is very, there's no, no better place to do it. I can't, I can't express how much I love New York city. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, then, so the towers come down and I'll never forget it. Cause it was like, just, uh, one of my best friends was a, uh, he's a half Puerto Rican, half Lebanese kid. And I remember he lived down in Alphabet City and I was a little bit further north. So he just called me up that day and was like, I can't be this far south looking like I look. So he came up to my apartment and we bas- basically at the time Band of Brothers had come out. I stopped writing after it happened. I was just so shell shocked. And we just sat in, sat in my apartment and watched Band of Brothers and ate takeout food for about a month straight. That'll do it. I've watched Band of Brothers in its entirety about a dozen times, and nothing will make you want to enlist in the military more than Band of Brothers. Damn straight, yeah. That's one of the best things. That, to me, okay, because HBO, everybody talks about The Wire and Sopranos and Deadwood, and there's this whole list. Band of Brothers should be at the top of that list, you ask me. Maybe because it's a miniseries, they leave it out. Yeah, yeah, I don't. It, yeah, well, I don't know. I feel like the uh, the military sometimes. If I think if there's an, any any story where the military takes center stage, there tends to be a lack of recognition, on, even on filmmaking grounds. For the because I feel like people have a hard time separating 
the actual accomplishment of and the scale of a very well-made picture with like the content of of war and yeah. they just you know they'll group it into that grouping of being like it was a war movie instead of just saying it was like a masterpiece of fucking cinema. Yeah. So I'm gonna ask. Listen, I'm but, gonna be ignorant. I'm gonna ask yeah. you a whole bunch of questions about what it was like being over there that I sure. want to know. So the outsider perspective. Over here, because they don't, you don't see daily news. It's fucked up. You don't see pictures and video as a regular American. They don't allow it anymore. I think that's really messed up. It's not like it's not like back in the day where you're seeing like actual footage of of life over there, which I think is evil on our government's part. Personally, I think it disconnects our the American public from being able to sort of monitor and and uh, react to how what we're doing to our, our people over there what we're asking them to do. But that being said, I have no knowledge of it. So the outsider's perspective, at least for me, is that like things are really, you're, it's constant tension. You're constantly like looking out for, for uh, you know, like IEDs and you don't know who to trust and everything's like the, you know, like, like terrifying all the time. But is it, are there a lot of times where you're just like hanging out bored Oh yeah, yeah. I would say the majority, like even more than the majority. You're, <laughs> and I think that might be kind of what sends a lot of people over the top in terms of getting like coming home with some with some issues, some really? mental issues. Is that it's not like this thing where you know you're marching into battle and your your game face is on and you're prepped. I mean, you get on the plane to go over there and you you put your game face on. Great, good, good, good for you. But just realize that you're going to have to keep that game face on then for about maybe a month before you come into contact with any enemy, if at all. I mean, and you will, but it's never going to be on your terms. There's very few times uh, outside of when you have specific intelligence about, you know, a bomb maker or a house where there's definitely some bad shit going on where you're actually, you know, initiating contact with, with the bad guys. Most of the time it's, it's, you know, a bomb, a bomb gets, you know, stashed roadside and triggered and hits uh you know, just hits part of a convoy, and and they're smart enough. Usually, actually, because I was an airborne infantryman, they usually try. They were for the most part try to initiate contact with like supply guys and logistics guys because they they're a little less prepped for fight. They don't look for the fight as much, so they're 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 you know, it, it's like uh, it's nothing. I mean, I played a Madden tournament when we were at Florida, <laughs> when we were um, at Bagram Air Base before like we actually even got out into the in and started going on patrols because they wanted us to climatize and they wanted us to you know get our get you know get used to operating at the altitude in Afghanistan we were at so we spent about 5 days just playing a fucking Madden 2005 tournament before we actually started doing anything <laughs> so you're like playing so like so 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 are there a lot of times where it's just like you're a uh... You're marching through a neighborhood, or you're part of a convoy going down the road, and you're just like with your buddies, talking about like girls you like, like girls you slept with in high school, fucking around, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh <laughs> shit, here we go, some shit just exploded. Not, Is it I, like that? that? That I can't speak for everybody, and I like, I, I can say that when we were, I was only in Afghanistan, I wasn't in Iraq, um, and. I can tell you that my my unit it, it was all just fun and fun and games. But when we did go outside of the wire, we it was I mean you're putting on a show because you know a lot of times you're being watched also. So we had we basically when we were doing presence 
like patrols where we were basically making it known that because we specifically went over there on short notice to safeguard the elections and run through these um these border regions of Afghanistan where potentially you know some guys from Pakistan might flood over the uh, the area to stop the election so so basically we went out looking like just bad motherfuckers like we we were with no smiles just constantly head on a swivel scanning um and you'd never think that we would go home and watch Adult Swim at the after it was all done. But I mean, <laughs> like when you're outside the wire, it was basically just like if you if you you know pop off at us, you are gonna regret it like very quickly. And and just the faces all said that. And then the second we got back inside, like I said, it was a Madden tournament and it was Adult Swim and it was Adult you know, Swim. So, that's good for the Earwolf fan. Adult Swim. That's popular comedy over in at least back then. I'm a huge comedy nerd, man. Yeah. I am a huge. I, I could recite every every line of every se- season of the state, man. Wow! So you're over there, like you're the joke guy. Let me ask you another ignorant question. Admittedly ignorant question. Yeah. Something I've always wondered. So you're out there. You're on the border. You're monitoring. You're hoping insurgents don't flood down from the Pakistan border. And then you got all this gear on. You got armor on. I've seen the pictures. You got the armor on. You got the helmet on. Everything. Very ignorant question. I've always wanted to know, and I hope this isn't disrespectful. Yep. What happens if you got to take a shit while you're in that getup? Uh, well, we no. It, it, I mean, that just doesn't happen. I had to piss one time, and I pissed in the in the wheel well of a Humvee. <laughs> but that was just because we were on the outside of a town for way too long because somebody had, I think, somebody walked into a uh, into a mud hut and looked up when he was just checking the room and saw that there was some kind of. Uh, some kind of charge or a uh, like a some some plastic explosive or something. Oh, so we God. immediately withdrew to outside the town, and well, and basically, so we were waiting for longer than usual. But I mean, you take your shits, you, you get kind of regular in terms of your schedule. You get predictable. Your body gets predictable because you're eating lunch and your chow is like the same time every day, every every night. You know, right. so it's like. You know, you're you're good to go. I mean, it, it's, it, that shit was way worse when you're in like basic training and fucking feel like training with your <laughs> unit, where you're just basically digging these like little slit trenches. They're called, where you basically just take your little uh, your shovel out there with you. You find a nice place that looks calm, yeah. where you don't think you'll get bit by a snake or something. so wait so do you think that's intentional like do you think the military has that down to a science where they're like no we're gonna feed you guys this many this type of food this many calories at this time so that you guys shit when we want you to shit do you think it's that intentional or is it just is it just the nature of the beast i think i think it's just kind of the way it is yeah i think it's the nature of it I, i don't think that I think that it's very thought out in terms of like the meals, because when I was going in was when they were really starting to study how you can get more out of your soldiers. Um, like, you know, cause like the whole Vietnam era of like, you know, beating down a soldier or a Marine, you know, to get what you want out of them. They, they, I mean, the army's smart. They, they got psychologists and psychiatrists. they, they know that shit doesn't work. So and it's the same way with, with nutrition. They, I mean, they really, they want to support their troops as best they can. So, you know, they get you, they, they try to get you the, the most efficient food with, uh, that, that won't fuck with your body. And that's not to say that to stay awake, we aren't, you know, eating coffee, like pre-made coffee grounds and fucking taking ripped fuel or some supplement just to keep you like, you know, kind of up, keep you alert. Wow. And when you get in there, like when you get to basic training, do you immediately like, like how many days in are you like, hold on, 
I'm a writer who was taking acting classes with Terry Schreiber six days ago. Like, how quick into it are you like, ah, oh, fuck, what did I do? There must have been moments like uh, that, right? Oh, you know, you, know, you got it right on the nose. Here's the, here's the thing. My, my, my mother, who is a doctor, actually, before I went in, they, we were trying to figure out what my deal was because there definitely is a chemical issue in my head. And for a while, they thought it might be bipolar or, chem- or manic depressive, or what you called, but and I think it is a little more subtle than that because I never really had these huge, huge manic swings. It tended to be just more of a laggy depression thing. But I got in there, and they take away your nicotine. They take away, you know, there's no alcohol. So it was basically the, the third or fourth day, and I just had a huge anxiety attack. And it really wasn't anything other than just, like, withdrawal plus completely new, like, lifestyle just, in, like, piled on each other. And I'm sitting there, and I, I go to the doctor there, and I'm, I'm like, I don't know if I should be here. I really don't know if I should be here. I think I, and I mean, like, they don't, they take it seriously. So they're starting to do some, like, a workup on me. They're going to, they're, they're going to, they think I want to help process. So I'm thinking about it. And then I, I look up one day when I'm out processing and I see this other kid who's doing the same, but you can tell that he's not depressed. You can tell that he's actually just in, like, got in over his head. And I had this moment of just like, do I look like that? Where I was oh, just like, yeah. do I? And, it, and I immediately just went back inside and I was just like, nah, cancel that. I, I'm good. I'm good to go. And I just, that was it from then on. Wow. I loved it. So just so you know, we got about 30 minutes left. I got an, a follow-up question. Yeah. So what are the other archetypes? Like when you get in there, do you see like, is everybody, like you, you enlist in the Northeast. Is everybody from the Northeast in basic training or do they send you somewhere where you're like, oh, like. This is like, and I'm not trying to stereotype, but just different lifestyle. Like, do you get to a point where you're like, oh, this is like, like a Tennessee NASCAR dude who's like ready to kill. Do you like run into archetypes like that? Or are you just like, oh, that's like a mad dog. What's that guy's deal? Like, like as an artist, like there's not, let's be honest, there's not too many other, you're not meeting other people who are, there's not too many people who are like, you're 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 digging a slit trench and trying to shit where snakes aren't, and then you realize like, oh, you trained with Terry Schreiber. I'm a, I'm a Bill Esper guy. You don't have too many interactions <laughs> like that, right? This, a lot of these people are different than you, right? Yeah, but not to the extent that. He, here's the thing: when you like, I enlisted trying to, like I said, I wanted to jump out of planes. I wanted to be a paratrooper. So, so immediately you're cutting. You're getting to like a more. And it, it, seems, it might seem even counterintuitive because a lot of people would say, like, who wants to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? But a lot of the people there are there because they know that units like our, like the one I ended up in, tend to be a little bit more aggressive, which means that you tend to get hit less and you tend to initiate more, which ends up making you a little bit safer. But, like, I, like, like the biggest adult swim fan of, of Maul was like my friend that ended up dying. He was, oh, no. he was a huge comedy nerd from just outside of San Francisco. He half Filipino, half just, I guess, regular, like American, like Anglo-Saxon. Um, my other best friend was a Puerto Rican kid from, uh, from Brooklyn. Um, I mean, it was just honestly the spectrum. It was like so many different types of people. What's the type of guy that when you guys are out on patrol, like what's the, what's the type of guy that everybody's like, ah, oh, please no, don't not talking bad. I'm not asking to talk bad about any of your brothers, but just in general terms, is there any type of person where you're like, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in the actual truck with, with that. Like, I would imagine there's just got to be some people who are just like blood hungry where it's like, oh God, well, or no, there, do they just beat that out of you? There is no, I, well, no, they beat, well, I mean, in terms of being blood hungry, 
they beat that in, uh, they don't beat it, but I mean, they train that into you. When we go out on patrols, like I said, we are game faces on and we are fucking, if you're a civilian, we will not hurt you. Unless, I mean, there, there are accidents. I can, I'm happy to say that we never had one, but, but if you do something like if you, if you are trying to fuck us, you are going to get hurt and it's, and we will have no remorse about doing that shit. And, and it's not, it, it's not like, I am lucky in that there was nobody in my, I can't speak for the entire platoon because I obviously you're closest with your squad, but there was nobody in my squad who I had any, any problem with in terms of that shit. I mean, they, we were just good to go. I, there were, there were a couple guys who actually had just come back when I got into the unit, they had come back from the deployment to Fallujah and they, were just, you know, they were weary. They they were just tired, and you, I mean, it might have been tougher to deal with them because they they'd seen so much at that point that they might have just lost a little bit, you know, the care the care for life that comes with being a human being. But uh, but the guys that I rolled out to Afghanistan with, no, no, they were squared away and they were decent human beings, and and we didn't have any issues with that. And I I was happy to go with, go in with all of them. I mean, so you're in here, you got comedy friends. And then you're going back out there. Are you like, uh, let me ask you this, on the other side of it, are, yeah. you, uh, are you back to the art stuff or has it, has it just changed you forever? It, it took me, I, I stumbled on a podcast and that's how I got back into the comedy and the, and the, the, the writing. I uh, just happened to be like looking through, like I got the, uh, the newer iPhone and it had the podcast app right on it. So I'm like flipping through it and I see, I see, uh, improv for humans i see like you know uh comedy bang bang and i'm just like all right whatever i'll give these a shot and i immediately was just like holy shit that's right i used to like this <laughs> stuff and i totally was like finding a part of me that i really hadn't accessed in about five years wow and um so it was improv for humans and, besser's gonna love that i'm gonna let besser know that <laughs> yeah it was uh it was amazing you know i thought about like writing but i mean i'm sure you guys you know, you, you guys get flooded with stuff, but I mean, they, they, between him and Aukerman, I, um, they really brought back a part of me that I hadn't, I, I, I don't know when it would have come back if I didn't have like, kind of like these, just these comedians, like just, you know, doing this shit in front of me to the point where you're like, why am I laughing? So, oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm a comedy nerd. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you so, first get back, like when you first yeah. hit the ground, how how's that transition back? Do you feel because again, the movie moment is like the movie storyline is like oh we got back and uh, we were happy to be back amongst the people who had never seen these horrors, but there was a part of our souls that knew forever. Is that how on target is that? And how much are you just like oh, awesome? I'm gonna eat at fucking Wendy's and love it. Like how wh- <laughs> how what's this transition back like? Um, well, specifically, do you mean transition out of the military or once uh, coming back from from overseas? Oh, see, I didn't know there was a difference there. I'm very ignorant. No, there is a slight difference. I think when you come back from overseas, it's just extreme appreciation of like the color green. Oh wow! And like, like you see trees when you're coming when you're like about to land, and you're just like, oh fuck, that looks nice. I'm not entirely sure where this conversation is going. You don't know either. At a short break, we'll find out where it's going when we come back. Today's show is sponsored by Howl.fm, which is like Netflix for podcasts. With Howl Premium, you get exclusive access to a brand new Howl original comedy series, The Mysterious Secrets of Uncle Bertie's Botanarium, starring Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. 
You follow a ship, the Jewel of the Gravy Isles, on a mission to find the source of pleasure in the world, Heaven's Clover. Clearly, this is a podcast unlike any other. It's also got a rich, detailed sound design and original music produced by an outstanding creative team from New Zealand. And I cannot imagine how weird this one's going to get. With Howl Premium, you also get exclusive access to over 120 hours of Howl miniseries. You get audio documentaries like The Complete Woman, Finding the Funny with the Sklar Brothers, and Issa Rae's Fruit. You get 80 comedy albums, archives, WTF, Comedy Bang Bang, How Did This Get Made? They're all there. You get access to all of it on your iPhone, Android, whatever, the web, $4.99 a month. And with the promo code BEAUTIFUL, you get a full month free trial. Redeem the code. You go to the web, Howl.fm. That's H-O-W-L.fm. Use the promo code BEAUTIFUL for a one-month Free trial, Howell Premium. Check out the mysterious secrets of Uncle Bertie's botanarium, along with dozens of other things, hundreds of other things, thousands of other things. Check it out, Howell.fm. Let's go ahead. Let's get back to the phone call. Like, you see trees when you're coming, when you're, like, about to land, and you're just like, oh, fuck, that looks nice. There's just straight up no trees. Oh, you know, it's... It's like time traveling, really. It's like you don't even feel like you're in the present time when you go. I mean, more more so Afghanistan than Iraq, because Iraq had way more of an infrastructure. Is yeah. And the combat was way worse in Iraq because it was so much closer. But but Afghanistan, it really is like you feel like you've just left all normalcy behind. So when I saw trees when we were about to land, and everybody, that's, we were looking out the windows of the plane, and we're just like, holy shit. So that was that. When I got out of the military, it was just kind of adjusting to, like, stop – Stop using acronyms because nobody knows what they mean, weirdo. <laughs> like, oh, I gotta uh, say, you've used a couple today, and I've been, I've been, uh, I think you said EST at one point, and I was like, I don't know what that means, but I'm gonna, I'll just keep going. <laughs> it's basically, yeah, that's basically like when you, because you, when you leave, when you get out of the service, you, it's not just like, okay, you're, you're in and then you're out. It's like a, a 45, I think it's like about 40 days or 45 days of just basically processing and like them making sure that you're kind of squared away to go. And so it's like, there's a period of time there, but, um, and then the big, I think the biggest thing was you stop, you got to stop just like, cause at the time the girl I was dating was just very, very, she was good about it at first. And after a while she was like, you keep talking about these, like, like and I wasn't, <laughs> nothing graphic, but she'd be like, you just, you keep like relating everything to military life. And it's just like, even if it's a quick couple of years, it just, it leaves such an imprint on, on your, the way that you respond to things and, the way that you, uh, just the way you process a lot of things that maybe you used to get mad about and now you just, you could care less. Yeah. And, uh, and it's great for helping you detach it. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to get like, I can't, it's hard to get me angry at this point because it's really easy. You learn how to kind of just step back and take everything in. You don't get caught up in it as much. I would imagine. But, uh, yeah. Like me, like I was on my way here and someone went down the subway steps a little too slow in front of me. And I missed my train, and I was furious. Oh. And I had this monologue in my head where I was like, that person's a piece of shit who fucked me and cost me 10 minutes of my... That never enters your mind anymore, right? It's usually very quick. If it does, it's almost like... If it does, I almost immediately check it. It's rare that it does, though, because, <laughs> I mean, it, there's so many... Yeah, it takes... Yeah, you deal with some real, like, real people who... Who, you, I mean, I don't believe in the word evil, and I don't believe you know, and shit like that. But you deal with some people who you might be classified as, you know, evil people. 
And, uh, and the idea that somebody who just, you know, either even ignorance or people that really are just pieces of shit, you're just like, whatever, you're a piece of shit, but you wouldn't cut someone's head off. So you, whatever. And that's really a piece. That's a dialogue you can legitimately have in your head. You have earned that right to be like, yeah, sure. Like you, uh, cut me off in traffic, but at least you're not trying to behead me. That's like an actual thought you have. That's an unironic, non-dramatic factor in your life now. At least this person's not pointing a fucking rocket launcher at me. Oh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, I mean, I don't verbalize it mentally, but that's where, like, if I had to stop myself and wonder why I just didn't get angry at somebody after, like, there's, like, that initial anger that I don't think anybody could ever really get past, where it's, like, you get cut off and your adrenaline pops up for that split second. And, yeah, you're, like, but then, yeah, whereas before I might, like, you know, yell or flip them off, it's, like, it just goes back down and I understand that my adrenaline has just popped off. So it's, like, yeah. And then... Like I said, I don't verbalize it, but I would definitely, if I had to, if I had to go, why did my adrenaline just jump up real fast? And I'd be like, oh, because somebody did something I wasn't expecting. Oh, so. yeah. So it's that type of shit. So someone can be like, someone can like curse at you. Someone could get in your face and be like, you piece of shit. And you'd be like, all right, whatever. But if somebody comes around a corner too fast, that, no, no good. Well, it's, it's no, either one, because like, like as long as, I mean, I, I got in one fight after I got out, and it was just a, a hurricane of just poor choices that led me to it. And I ended up having to spend a year going to court and doing like a, a couple of days worth of community service for it. And it, that was wow. like my one instance where I lost control after I got out. But that was like my friends getting me drunk and breaking up with a girl the night before, and then somebody handed me an Adderall, and it was just like in this club or this bar in the meatpacking district just – Wrong, wrong couple of guys saying the wrong thing to me, and me just at that point in time just being so like aggressive and angry. But at this yeah. point, like right now, I mean, if it's whether it's like physically shocking me, or or just you know doing something like a dickhead would do, it you know I, it rolls off my back because it's just like what's the point? Really, what's the point of doing something like you know like yeah. I see people fight now, and maybe that's because I did train like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for a while after I got out. But like it's like I see people fighting now, and I just laugh because it's like, what the fuck are you trying to prove? Like I trained Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a few years. Where'd you do your Jiu-Jitsu? Uh, Henzo Gracie's in the city. I, I trained at Henzo Gracie's in the city. When did you train there? Like 2006 to 2010 or 11. Oh, and we were definitely training there at the same time at some point in time. <laughs> so you and I may have <laughs> physically wrestled each other. Did you take the classes with Donaher the daytime? Uh, no, I mostly wrestled with Zed. Uh, I was oh. grappling with Zed's morning class. Zed gave me my blue belt in that morning class. Me, too, actually, me too. He, he didn't. I was. He was subbing out for Denaher. His. Uh, I was doing the. Yeah, I was doing the advanced class in the big room. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he whips you in the back with it, right? He whips you in the back with it. I started with Magno Gama, who's my dude, because he's little oh, like I me. Love that. He's Magno's the best. The best. Yeah. And then Zed took over the class, and Zed gave me my uh, my blue belt. And then someone else who will go unnamed also briefly taught the class, and I didn't like it. A little cockiness there. There's some cocky teachers over there, but I like them. Everybody's good. You know who I'm talking about. You know who I'm talking about. That's crazy. There's no place for cockiness in jiu-jitsu, that's for sure. I mean, it it makes good people, or or the people quit. I I miss it. I I miss it because my knees knees blew out and uh, stuff like that. I feel like... 
I mean, see, here's the thing, though. You know, I feel like you're vaguely, you're aware enough of me to know who I am. You would have remembered if a guy who looked like me was in there. Because I used to just get my, the shit beat out of me. You know who was my dude? Black Rob. You friends with Black Rob? I, I didn't know him that well. I ended up having to come and train in Jersey after that because I was I tried, I was doing a little run at amateur MMA. Wow. And at the time, I needed a sponsor. And I got these guys to put up some money or just at least like let me train for free at their spot. And I couldn't at the time, I couldn't afford the parking just to go in every night from Jersey to the city to, to train. So yeah. but, um, I don't so know if you know Dave Branch, but Dave Branch ended up training with me for a while. He ended up coaching me a little bit. I was in Donaher's classes when Dave Branch got his black belt. Right on. <laughs> he's got a great mustache, that guy, or at least he did back then. Oh, hell yeah. He's got that mustache and the sideburns. Yeah, and he wound up, he was in the World Series of Fighting, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. The guy's like a multiple belt holder right now. I still uh, I check in with him every once in a while. The guy, this is great. We know all these same people. I wonder. For sure. Yeah. You, did you ever, uh, you ever grapple with Chuck Zito? <laughs> no, I never did. He was around, though. Chuck Zito was around. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I got to grapple with him once, and it was just fucking awesome because I knew I could probably tap him, and he wasn't allowed to punch. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm comfortable with it because the guy <laughs> could box the shit out of me. But I, <laughs> I, was, see, I, I was stoked that I got to grapple with him. It was awesome. I feel like there were a lot of people who uh, – I, like, I was like the funny guy. I was not good. I got to blue belt mostly just because I was like hanging out and trying real hard, and they liked that a guy who looked like me was trying real hard. But I also, I felt like there was a little bit of resentment because I could make everybody laugh. Like Black Rob loved me because I could make him laugh. And he's a really funny guy. But like he wasn't talking to the other white belts and blue belts. And then like when I started training with Donaher, Donaher thought I was funny. And I thought Donaher was funny. And one thing I've noticed about being a comedian is that people like when a comedian thinks they're funny. And Donaher liked me. And Brian Glick, do you know Brian Glick? Uh, like, it sounds familiar, but I can't say I do. He was Donaher's right-hand man in the classes. He was, like, demonstrating the techniques, and uh, he liked me. Anyway, no one cares. You and I are now having a conversation about specific people. No one else <laughs> yeah, this is in the world no, cares but whatever. about. I mean, that's, uh, that, that was a big part of my life. Like, that oh, did help me, me get, like, there was a lot of things that helped me get through just that that kind of transition out of the military. And that a ton was a of military of guys just, take those jujitsu classes. A ton of military guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that makes sense because it's regimented and it's physical and it gets the aggression out. makes a lot of sense. And then you got me with my fucking glasses on, almost getting my teeth knocked out. People headbutt yeah, me. Yeah, whatever. Because the fact is the smaller guys are always like, like in jiu-jitsu, I remember there was, um, Magna used to call me, he'd be like, oh shit, I'm not. That's okay. It's just a first name. name. It's he just a first name. We, it's he would okay. say my first name and he would say, and he would call me a monster afterwards. And uh, and I was like, look at him, and he was like, he's using too much power, less power, more technique. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and that was like a big, huge thing because it's like, yeah, you don't want to fall back on power. Jiu-Jitsu is all about learning technique and like leverage. So it's like, I it, whatever your size, I think it comes down to just technique. And if you train hard enough, you you'll get good at it. Yeah. Well, I t- I got okay at it. They got I got to the point where. I- they would put, like, when I was a four-stripe white belt, they'd put me against, like, the new guys who, like, somebody would walk in and be like, I want to be an MMA fighter. And they'd be like, well, wrestle that guy. And then I'd tap him, and then they'd feel really embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, you put a hurt on Or did you, give him that, did you give him that ultra embarrassing thing where it's like, you give him that, like, nice slow move, but you still, it's almost like a, how a snake works oh, on someone. Oh, they feel it coming, like, man. They feel that choke coming. They feel it because they've all seen yeah. it on TV. And when the guy like me puts you in a triangle and they're like, and you can feel it, he doesn't even know what he's doing. And this guy's about to get me. And I weigh 280 right. pounds. 
I never felt more masculine in my life. I'll tell you this. This will make you, this will make you laugh. To a man's man like you who fought MMA and was in the military, there was a stretch in my life where I shaved my head completely because I told myself, quote, I want to look less like a comedian and more like a fighter. <laughs> Dumb. Uh, shaved, damn, man. That's a look I haven't gone to since, I, since before I enlisted. Really? I learned my lesson on that. Yeah, dude. So I don't know, man. We're getting along. We got 15 minutes left here. I feel like we're uh, we're 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 finding some fun shit. What's the thing that made you laugh harder? You're a comedy guy who loves comedy. Winds up in Afghanistan on kind of a spur of the moment decision. When you're over there, is there shit that makes you laugh? Even like off base, oh, yeah. is there stuff out in that world when you have that game face on when you're scaring everybody because you need to? Is there still shit where you see things and you're like, holy shit, that's the funniest thing I ever saw? There was, um, all right, there's one time where there was a, um, where we were doing a little bit of outer security for our, uh, for one of our company's platoons who was actually going through the town. And, um, and so we're posted up on this rock wall and just kind of just look out. We're in the, we're in this riverbed, right? And the way it works there, these, they got these rock walls that basically help channel water, but they're, they're pretty tall. They're maybe like, they're anywhere from two and a half to like four, maybe even five feet tall, right? And so there's this cow coming towards us uh-huh. and I we're like sitting this. at this rock wall and, um, and you know, we're just trying to get it to go away. So my friends just like chuck some rocks over by it. Right. So we're throwing some rocks by it to just try and get it to go in the other direction. And it starts to get the point. So we don't, you know, like, cause you just don't want it coming here. You, you never know what, like at this time, point in time, the enemy was starting to use very, very, very ingenious, just like insidious and then just, creative ways of fucking with people so we were like all right just get it to go away so there's a chance this cow so, could fucking explode there's a part of you guys that's like yeah. it's probably not gonna happen but that thing's got four stomachs and two of them could be full of fucking dynamite get it out of here that's exactly uh, yep so but then what happened after we chucked the last rock and it landed about a foot from the cow was something that i don't think you'll ever see out of an american cow this cow <laughs> jumped over maybe a four foot rock wall what like jumped over like jumped and i i'm not a, I, <laughs> no exaggeration it literally jumped over a four-foot wall cows and can that do was that? the most shocking thing i think i've seen like in my life maybe even like it was coming at you guys no, no, it was no, running no, away no, no. to like to to go away in the other direction it would have to it went well it would turn sideways so it would start moving parallel to us but to, to turn sideways there was a rock wall right there so it literally just jumped straight over this rock wall what like, I didn't know cows could jump, period, and I didn't know that cows could jump that high. I mean, this granted, it was not, it didn't look anything like what you'd see in America, like a, one of those, like, growth hormoned up, you know, milk cows. But this thing jumped like, you know, like an athlete would jump. And did you guys all flip the and, fuck um, out? You know, I just looked at my buddy, and we were just like, our, I, we were mouths agape, and like our platoon sergeant happened to be close to us, and he just went, I just saw that too. Like, we were just all fucking shocked. <laughs> And yeah, the last one, the, the only the other thing that I saw that was funny over there was funny, but then it immediately just kind of spoke to us in, a, in a, about like, you know, just kind of civilization in, in a sad way. But it was that we were, uh, we, it was the same day, but we were in a different part fighting security and, um, and I was drinking a bottled water and when I was done, I didn't have a place to put it. So I just put it on the ground, like, like maybe about a foot from where I was. And I, I took it about 10 steps back to the, to the wall we were posted up on. And uh, this kid is looking at me and uh, and our our gunner, and he's looking at us like 
kind of curious and we're used to it because there's a lot of kids in the town and they're all very, very curious about the soldiers. And so, I'm, you know, we wave to him. And he starts walking, like, creeping very slowly. And we're just like... And he he looks innocent enough and he's got, like, you know, shorts and a T-shirt on so we can tell there's no there's no malintent or anything. And so he just runs up to, like like, right where the bottle is. He grabs the bottle and he just starts cracking up and runs in the other direction like he just stole, like, money from me. <laughs> and I didn't, like, I didn't know how to respond to that. I was just like, that's really odd. And then the kid, uh, our, our gunner, just looked at me and just, he started laughing at me and I just felt like I was tripping or something. I was like, what the hell has happened? Like, what's going on here? And then, like, you know, I'm just like, oh, shit, he doesn't have cups. Like, that's like a drinking instrument now for him because he doesn't have cups. Wow. There's no, so there's a, how would you describe it? I don't want to be ignorant. Is it like a more, is it a more primitive culture? I don't know if I'm being ignorant saying that, but there's, so there's no cups. There's, things are, things are just. There are cups. I mean, I'm sure there are cups, but I mean, there's (laughs) a lot of the houses are so like, there's, it's so tribal that it really is just like, when I say tribal, think of, just think of like before, think of just no infrastructure because like the infrastructure in terms of water and, and plumbing, well, there is no plumbing, but the, like the water really depends on the time of year. And so if there's no, if you're out of the rainy season, which we were when we were over there, it's like, you know, it's just all dirt and, and sand. And then you go and you're about where we were, we were probably about 3,500 to 4,000 feet up. So it's like, it's just very, very different. And you go into a house, you like, just because you need to check it and you see just, it's, I mean, when I say mud hut, I mean, that's just really, that's it. It's a, it's a hut. It's a house made out of mud. And it is basically like, you see some utensils and maybe a few cups and like, you know, they got like uh, rugs on the ground. And, and this was, this was about, yeah, it was about 10 years ago. So, I mean, things, I know that in certain parts, like, uh, like Kabul, when we went through there, it's a little bit nicer and there's more infrastructure. But when we were operating out in those border regions, it really is a whole lot of nothing, man. There's like not a whole lot there. So when you roll up in a mud hut and there's a family that lives there and it's and it's it's a tribal lifestyle and they see American soldiers, are they like, what the fuck are you talking? Who are you? Like, do they know what's going on? Do they understand like the geopolitical reasons that brought you there? Some, some, yeah. I mean, we we mostly got people who were grateful and there were definitely people who looked at us sideways and there were definitely people who you could tell were just like, just get out of my fucking life. And, you know, you can understand that. And I mean, the fact is that it's yo-yoed so much in that country since the whole thing's kicked off because, you know, they're basically doing what they need to do to sustain life. I mean, they, like if the Taliban's in charge, they're like, fuck, I'm not going to complain. I don't want to get killed. If the U S is in charge, they're just like, fuck, I mean, can I make a living? So, I mean, they—they they just seem like so many of them just seem like like a, such a tired people because they really have had to deal with so much just yeah. different shit that it's um, it's like yeah, you, it's tough to get a read on them too. I mean, we took classes before that on just like the gestures and shit and what it means. And here's a good one: if a old man with a beard starts rubbing his beard while he talks to you, it means he wants to have sex with you. What? So we. Yeah, that's, that's one that we were briefed on before we went on a patrol one day. <laughs> that is that like we is, <laughs> is that like true, a, is that really like an true. unconscious thing that is just part of the culture there? Is that like a secret signal of like, hey man, I'm down if you're down? 
uh, hey, you know, I should go. I should get more information on it. At the time, we just heard it, and it turns out we it was verified by other people. The, the guys who told us were intelligence guys. They were like uh, the people that study like the lay of the land, yeah. the local cultures, and they. I mean, it is different over there, the way that it operates. I mean, they take, like, you know, there is a problem with, I'm sure you, I'm not, well, I'm not sure you heard about it, but there's a problem with them taking, like, young boys as, like, sex slaves over there. I mean, the homosexuality there is viewed as, like, way more casual than it is here, but it's not on, like, an equality level, like, where you're taking, like, a homosexual, like, life partner. You're taking a homosexual sex slave, essentially, over there. Like, it's fucked up. And you guys see that. You like see situations we, we where you're like, really oh, well, no, fuck. We didn't, I, now units are seeing it. We couldn't, we wouldn't see it because at the time they were way more, they, they tried to make sure that, because they didn't want us doing anything in their lives for the most part. They wanted to just be left alone. And if they were good people, they, you know, they, they would welcome us. in. if they were, if they were kind of hiding something, they would put up a little bit more of a fight in terms of just be like, complaining if we were like asked to look in their house. But, um, but when, but, but you see, there's just tons of young kids there, tons of them. And when you see them, uh, some, once in a while, you see like a, an older guy kind of, you know, walking around with them and you assume it's a dad. But I mean, once we got briefed on this thing where they were, oh, they were just like, no, no, they young kid, young males in that, in that culture are often just basically considered like playthings for fucking for these older guys. Oh, so what do you think and overall? It's, it's fucked up. Do you, uh, overall, do you regret, do you regret going over there? Are you proud you went over there? What's the overall... Now that you've been out a few years. No, I think it was an essential thing to do with my life. I think that I had, I kind of had to, because it, it just maybe if nothing else, I mean, I love the guys that I serve with will be like brothers to me till the day I die. I mean, they can always rely on me for anything they need and vice versa. Um, and that, and I, and it also just gave me a, a great appreciation where it's like, if shit falls out, if like the bottom falls out of my life in this country I will still still have like some level of appreciation for the luck that I the luck just to be born here because I mean it really is just luck that you're born here and uh yeah and you just you, you kind of you realize that and you're just like damn man like just unlucky to be born in that country because I don't know if they they haven't seen peace in in since time was recorded I mean it's been at war forever I'm going to I'll tell you what I'll tell you something about this show usually we get we get a lot. We get a lot of crybabies who call this show. There's one thing today has made clear to me. We get a lot of people who are like, like, ah, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna draw better pictures. And then you call up and you're <laughs> like, oh, I have, I had to fear that Superman cows that could jump eight feet in the air might actually be bombs. So I'm good. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man, for sure. It really makes me appreciate it. hearing you talk. It makes me appreciate it. So I don't know. So so you come back. Your MMA fighting? I don't think I've asked. Did you ever uh, you finish? You ever finish writing the thing? What were you working on before you left? A book? A... I was. I was. Yeah. I was. I was still data mining, and I was trying to come up with a. Uh, I was trying to put it into a uh, narrative form because there are so many blanks in the story that that I have to. Well, I can only speculate about. And so now it's just basically like this huge hump of material, and I'm I'm getting back into writing. I've recently started to get back into writing. So you are. Definitely going to go somewhere. It's not going to left. I mean, I will get that out because if for nothing else, then I'm like just because I feel like it's a story that needs to be told. The story that you, the story from 2001, the story from 2000, 2001, you're still, you're yeah. going to put it out there. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That's a, I would love to. I would really love to. 
I want to. I read wouldn't it. have come back to it though if it weren't for comedy, because the comedy got me back into into the whole just into doing creative things, and and from there it's like oh, there's this whole thing that I haven't tapped in a while. So really, it's like once again, comedy has provided just all like everything. That's amazing to hear because I often think about the fact that as a comedian, I bring very little to the world, but then I hear something like that, and I'm like, oh right. It's a pretty good job if you can get the if you can if there's people who need a laugh and you can give them a laugh. That's a pretty good job. Dude, so fuck yeah, I would say you do honestly. Like I wasn't exaggerating before. Like hearing those podcasts just opened up a part of me that I had really not even. It's not that I was ignoring it. It was it wasn't even like like it was inaccessible, so I wouldn't know to ignore it. Yeah. So it's and it, it took comedy to do that, and it's like immediately I'm remembering, oh my God, it was like I was in it. I, again, I mean, I could name the hits, but it's like, you know, I'm all, all the sketch comedy shows from the fucking nineties yeah. and early, you know, the early two thousands, just hugely huge, just a huge fan of all that. And I stand up also just fucking enormous fan of stand up. So I think that you guys do a, a crazy underrated job in terms of it's what it provides to, to society as oh. a whole, because people, well, hold on, people though. need that. Outlet. I have to stop you right there. Cause the idea that someone who has fought, in our military, in Afghanistan, in truly circumstance under duress. I can't have you telling me that my job is underappreciated by American society. I have it <laughs> extremely easy. And thank you, sir, for everything. We got two minutes left. So I want to say this. Here's the thing, too. Anytime a book comes out written by a guy named that has any references to the military, I'm now going to wonder forever if you wrote that book. Uh, well, it's going to be a, a if it comes out, it's going to be a military from the World War II days because I ain't going to put anything out about my time now. There, there are so many books written by guys who have done so many more tours. Like I have a, uh, I have a taste of that life, and it was brief, and it was enough to help shape me into somebody that I am now. But it's not worthy of a book in and of itself. I think the real story that I'm going to tell is. What my grandfather did because that war was insane. Who do you cast? Um, Who do you cast as your grandparents? Who's your grandfather and who's your hot French grandma? (laughs) Who's your hot French grandma? We got a minute left. Let's nail this casting. Book comes out. Movie optioned. Oh, wow. Who would be grandmother? Um, Grandpa, I'm going to go Fassbender. I don't know your grandpa, but I'm going to say Fassbender. And that could work. That could work if you could, you know, make him look because he was balding even when he was a young guy. <laughs> so just take some of that hair off the top and. Uh, well, Hollywood will yeah. change that part, my friend. He'll have a full head I'm of sure. hair in Hollywood. Who? Uh, let's see. Who? Who's got a French accent? Because my grandmother had a thick one, and that's almost part of her. Uh, it's like when you think my grandmother, you think French accent. So uh-huh. I'm trying to think. Hmm. We got thirty I'd say seconds. Sophie Marceau, but she's too old for that role. I was thinking the same thing. Sophie Marceau from Braveheart. Might be a little too old, but I should, like you said, Hollywood can take care of that. So, yeah, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on getting that outline out, though. I'm gonna do the outline first. Beautiful, and I hope it comes out, and I hope I get to read it someday. And I just want to say, the clock's about to cut off, but thank you, thank you for everything you did. Thanks for letting me ask you some uh, honest, dumb questions about it. Hey, no sweat, man. You, and thank you. Are you gonna say I'm overplaying it? But thank you also, man. No, and stop worrying about that Ouija board. It, you did nothing wrong. You're a good man. Thanks a lot, man. Really enjoyed that call. I, I got to say, the Ouija board, slightly scary. A, a cow that can jump the height of a human, very scary. That was the scariest part. Thank you again for opening up 
Hope things are going well with jujitsu and life here and writing and all the other things that you have earned the right to enjoy so much. Thank you for what you do. Thank all you guys for uh, listening, and I hope it was a fascinating one to you. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can go to chrisgethard.com. If you want to know about The Chris Gethard Show, thechrisgethardshow.com. I want to thank Shellshag for the intro music. I want to thank John Delore for all the masterful engineering. I want to thank Greta for helping me guide that call. Thank you, everybody, for listening, supporting the show. Remember, rate, review on iTunes, subscribe. Those are the things you can do to really help this show. Spread word. Love you guys. Thank you for all the positive feedback. And we'll see you next time. And maybe I'll even get to talk to you. Keep an eye on my Twitter, on the Earwolf Twitter. We tweet out the number when the calls are going down. I could talk to you. Call me up. You come back next week for another beautiful anonymous call. It might sound like this. I do have a obscenely large beard. You do? Uh, like almost comically. Like people comment on it. Like, hey, nice beard. So let's just um, to, just so to I, remind people, you're currently driving around the mountains in an F-250 with your comically large beard. Right, 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 right. It feels like and a I nice way wearing, of you saying, yes, I am more of a man than you. I guess in the, like, hey, yeah, I could probably chop wood and make a build a fire faster than you, sure. You definitely could. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous. Hi, guys. Danielle Schneider here. Eileen, you've done it again. <laughs> As you know, Casey Wilson and I are obsessed with all the Real Housewives. Eileen would be the cheapest, best date <laughs> because you could give her Claire's and she would think it's Cartier. <laughs> so that's why we started Bitch Sesh, a Real Housewives breakdown show. And we've got some really exciting news. Starting this week, we're going to cover the brand new season of... Real Housewives of New York City. Yes! Is Erica here tonight? Maybe she is, bitches. So look for new episodes every Thursday morning. Bitch Sesh is coming to the Big Apple. Only on Earwolf. On this podcast, I'll admit you come off like a little nasty. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.